everybody and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of 2015. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Plant. I am not ready for 2016. And Ben Lamoureux. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the year just disappeared. <laughs> so this is our final episode of 2015 as we approach the end of our inaugural year here with the show. We'll be taking a holiday break next week, but we'll be back at the start of January to kick off 2016, right? But right now, it is the most wonderful time of the year, so we thought that we'd celebrate with a little special episode about the most wonderful times of Nintendo. Uh, before we do that, real quick, I'm going to lightning round just five stories for you guys because they're time sensitive, uh, but we'll be catching you guys up on everything when we return in January. If you don't want to wait for that, you can catch up on all your Nintendo news and more at Gamnesia.com. And of course, you can keep checking Gamnesia through the holidays to stay up to date on everything while you wait for our return. But in the meantime, Mario Maker's latest update is live, bringing new creation tools and more importantly, the Bookmarks web portal. We've got a great collection of holiday-themed Mario Maker levels to get you in the giving mood. Captain Toad, Birdo, and Excite Biker costumes are coming to Mario Maker soon, alongside new event courses. Super Mario 64 DS and Super Mario RPG are both coming to the Wii U eShop in Europe on Christmas Eve. And Niantic released a ton of new information about Pokemon Go. We're definitely going to talk about that in the next episode of Nintendo Week, but it's big news, so if you want to read up on that, because it very well might, go ahead. It's, it's all there for you. But, uh, all right, discussion time. The most wonderful moments that Nintendo has given us. We've each chosen some of our own, so we'll be going over those, but we'd also love to hear from you guys what some of your favorite Nintendo moments are. Uh, you can send those in to colin at gamnesia.com or comment on the podcast post at Gamnesia. Uh, but let's get going. Um, we'll do the usual rotation, but uh, as I understand, uh, you guys don't have honorable mentions. I can never narrow down my list to five, so I always have them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, we'll go through mine first. I guess, uh, those mentions. First up, I wanted to give a shout out to Nintendo Directs. You know, there's no standout moment that I felt I could really choose as, as a most wonderful moment of Nintendo, so uh, didn't feel right to give it a top five, but Nintendo Directs, honorable mention. My body is ready up on the E3 stage, <laughs> of course. Gotta give a shout out to Reggie there for creating an entire meme by accident. Chapter 9 in Fire Emblem Awakening, those of you guys who have played the game will know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it's not exactly a wonderful moment in the holiday cheery sense. It's a brilliant and powerful moment, and it's amazing. But um, yeah, so I, I here in the honorable mentions for that reason. And then the introduction movie for Mario Power Tennis, because Wario and Waluigi's crazy antics are just too amazing to ignore. Um, that is such an awesome little clip. Uh, if any of you listeners haven't seen that, go look it up on YouTube. It's so funny. So I guess we'll head into our top fives then now. Uh, Alex, do you want to start us off? Sure. Um, you mentioned your first honorable mention was Nintendo Directs. Likewise, my first pick is actually specific a specific category of moments from mm. Nintendo Directs, and those are Satoru Iwata's weird Nintendo Direct antics. <laughs> I'm sure we all agree Satoru Iwata was a really special guy. Absolutely. And a lot of that, I think, came from our experience uh, interacting with him through Nintendo Directs. Mm -hmm. uh, but the moment that stood out to me in particular was that moment during the E3 uh, 2012 post-presentation where Mr. Iwata held a bunch of bananas. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I remember, like, the flurry of discussion about that on the internet. Yeah. Um, and how, like, everyone's trying to figure out what this means. Um, I think we've all kind of collectively decided it was supposed to be a tease for or for Tropical Freeze. Uh, I think so. Because that was revealed next year. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, even if you think of it as just a tease and maybe something Retro Studios asked him to do, it's like one of the most memorable little mystery yeah. teases that I think I've ever seen. And it was so random and so strange. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, that's a great moment. Good choice. I don't know if I like that quite as much as him and uh, Miyamoto coming out dressed up as Luigi with like the, the poltergust and everything. That was pretty great. If I had to choose a favorite, I would I would go with the whole Muppets thing. That was just amazing. <laughs> yeah, that was completely yeah, that was unexpected. When they're walking down the hall, their little strut there. That was awesome. Awesome. <laughs> uh, good choice. Ben, you don't have a number five. So my number five then is uh, the Pikmin short films. And I'm also throwing the credits for Pikmin 3 in there too because those were really super cute. And uh, I feel like they kind of uh, set the stage for the short films because they had this sort of cinematic quality to them. Uh, they were, you know, there was this animation going on behind the credits that was really cute, uh, really captured the heart of Pikmin. But the short films are really incredible in that Pikmin, I think, is this franchise that really shines when you see what the individual Pikmin are up to. And you just can't do that in an RTS. You just can't do that um, with the gameplay of the Pikmin series. And so animation is really the perfect medium, I think, for the whole concept of Pikmin. As much as the gameplay is amazing, and those are some of my favorite games, um, the series and the ideas of the series really shine their brightest in animation. And uh, the ideas in those shorts are so clever and so beautifully realized. Um, they're adorable. And, you know, it just made me love Pikmin so much more and uh i'm really hoping as nintendo dabbles in film that pikmin is going to be the one one of the franchises that they really uh push as 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 one of their all-stars for film uh if you guys haven't seen the pikmin short films they're amazing go check them out on wii u eShop, uh in hd they're gorgeous they're cute they're adorable you're gonna fall in love they're wonderful a wonderful moment what i liked i haven't actually seen all of them but what i've liked about what i have seen is that they they really do capture the sort of Nintendo spirit, mm-hmm. but in a completely different medium than we're used to. Yeah. So for that reason alone, they're worth checking out, even if you're not that into Pikmin. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I mean, I think there are so many ways that, uh, you know, what Nintendo does in games can translate really poorly to film and animation. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of traps, I think, that they could have fallen into that they didn't. I mean, they... they went all in and they nailed the landing and the Pikmin short films are incredible. Some of the best animations I've ever seen. Really awesome. Love Pikmin. <laughs> so I guess you're kicking it back to me for number four. I guess so. I guess so. Um, my number four is pretty much the moment in any Zelda game where you step out of into the world for the first time. So in Ocarina of Time, mm. stepping out into Hyrule <laughs> Field, in Wind Waker, going out onto the sea and your ship for the first time. Uh, Twilight Princess again, Hyrule Field, uh, Skyward Sword flying for the first time. All of these moments are very iconic for me in terms of not just, you know, great moments from the Zelda series, but great moments from going on adventures in gaming, period. And I think a lot of games that are open world nowadays, where they sort of dump you into the world with that kind of freedom, have been taking cues from from those moments, from those Zelda games, in terms of how to to let the player loose in a in a vast world. Yeah, nice. There is always something magical, especially I think Ocarina of Time about stepping out into Kokiri Forest um, from inside your little hut. That, you know, that's a great moment. So good choice. Yeah, actually, you know, for for one of my favorites, I'm right up there with Alex. I have on my list uh, just a series of moments from uh, Legend of Zelda, including stepping out into Hyrule Field in 3D for the first time in mm. Ocarina of Time and becoming Adult Link for the first time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, another big one for me, uh, because it's one of my, my earliest gaming moments is playing A Link to the Past 
So for me, uh, stepping into the dark world for the first time yeah. was was a huge mm. one. Yeah, that's a great moment. And just, too. You know, everything you know is is turned on its head, and all the enemies are just way harder. And it was a great moment. And the music yeah. becomes super incredible. <laughs> oh yeah, the dark world theme's fantastic. Um, but my my favorite Zelda moment actually came outside of the games when uh, I got to interview Zelda producer Ijeonuma at E3 a couple of years back. Oh yeah. So, that has been my favorite Zelda moment <laughs> and one of my favorite all-time Nintendo moments. Okay, so my number four is actually a level, Grassland Groove from Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Um, I think I've talked about this level before on the show, but this is my number four. It's a wonderful moment. Um, for those of you who haven't played, and by the way, you should. This is one of the best games of all time, in my opinion. Um, Grassland Groove is this really incredible level where it starts out just like any other, but as you progress, the music builds up and the visuals, uh, you know, it just all turns into this grand, sweeping moment, this huge adventure. And the way the level is designed, actually, it you know, it feels much more satisfying when you actually run through and grab the vines with the right timing and you know smash the enemies and do everything just right um it, in, in some ways it's almost like the same satisfaction of of nailing a sonic level perfectly um it's just so kinetic and energizing and amazing but you know it's all underscored by these amazing visuals and this amazing music um and it really it somehow wondrously magically made a 2d platformer level really, really evocative. One of the most evocative moments I've ever had playing games, and that's stunning to me, especially in a gaming environment where, you know, so many designers are having so much trouble figuring out how to make games really emotional and powerful and resonant um, without using, you know, things like cutscenes and, and story writing, but this takes just the very gameplay-centric, you know, sort of kinetic, ludic style of just a 2D platforming level and turns that very action into something emotional and powerful and incredible. And and that's my number four, both for, you know, what an amazing unsung accomplishment that is that Nintendo has, has given us, uh, but also just, you know, the feeling of playing it. Yeah, I'll agree. That's probably my favorite level in Tropical Freeze which, as well, which is quite a feat given that Tropical F Freeze itself is like a giant hive as far as oh Nintendo God, gaming goes. But yeah. but it's like within a masterful work of art, they somehow managed to make a standout piece of poetry or choreography <laughs> that like just it's it's a, it's definitely the high point of the game and the game itself is already a high point. This is gaming's to be or not to be. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Um, it's it's that moment that you'll point to and say, yes, this is the moment when, when gaming truly became iconic, uh, legendary artwork. Yeah. Uh, play Tropical Freeze, everyone. <laughs> Don't do yourself the injustice of thinking it's not a great game. Yeah, no, it's a it's a beautiful game, and it's, and it's an amazing game, and it's a very replayable game. Yeah, totally. Uh, All right, Alex, number four, or number three? So my number three is... That time, Nintendo made their very own homegrown first-person shooter, Metroid Prime. Oh, yeah. Um, it's very rare for us to see Nintendo, you know, feel like they need to give their major franchises overhauls that bring them up to the standards of the time. Usually, they're mm -hmm. they're just, uh, you know, adding a new shiny coat of graphics over an existing gameplay template or visual template. Uh, but mm -hmm. they made a pretty big exception when they let Retro Studios take over Metroid. Um, it was always a shooter, but it was always grounded in sort of platforming. 
uh, Nintendo's roots were in platforming, and so that that shown very well in their approach to shooters. Uh, but Retro Studios really took the first-person shooter trend that was sort of began uh, on PCs and then with N64, and basically reinvented the Metroid franchise. Yeah. Um, and that's a really bold step, and it's something that we haven't really seen them do a whole lot. And handed it to uh, an American studio to to do, too. Right, right, yeah. It, it was a, a very Japanese game, but it was a game that was appealing to Westerners, and so they they realized, I think correctly realized, that, that uh, adding more Western touches would really make it a better game for that crowd. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, re- the result was still a very authentic Metroid game. Uh, it's a game that a lot of people point to today as one of the best games ever. Um, has really great visuals that hold up even, you know, now that it's 13 years later. Yeah, I played um, it just, I think, last summer for the first time, and I it seemed like it could have been made, you know, five years ago. Yeah. On the Wii. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and despite the fact that it borrowed a lot from, like, first-person shooters, it's still a very much a trendsetter in its own right. Like, you look at games like Bioshock that followed it, mm-hmm. and you can tell that they're they're borrowing from the mechanics and the design. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, not only is it Nintendo going back to a, a very old franchise, bringing newer elements into it, but they're also, again, inspiring a new, like, sort of a, jo- a new genre within that space as well. Wonderful. <laughs> Uh, great. So, uh, Ben, what's your number three then? All right. So my number three, I think is, uh, Pokemon gold and silver. Colin, I know you love those games about mm-hmm. as much as I do. Just wonderful. Oh my God. So much. So, you know, after pouring hours into it, you know, getting all eight gym badges and the shiny Gyarados and just all the amazing stuff that's in gold and silver, mm-hmm. then you find out I get to return to Kanto and see all this cool stuff, see how everything's <laughs> changed over the past three yeah. years. And then you get to go fight Red. You go get to fight the character that you were playing as a couple of years earlier when you were mm-hmm. playing Pokemon Red. That's so, so just, meta. Right? <laughs> Everything about that was just wonderful and nostalgic and, yeah. and very well done. Yeah. I mean, that whole that whole post-game, which I guess was still the game um, in Gold and Silver, yeah, amazing, great, you know, filled with great moments. So, yeah, great choice. Yeah, uh, I love the Kanto region part myself as well. There was a lot of potential for it to feel really cheap, but it wound up not feeling cheap at all, and, and I thought that was amazing. So Yeah, uh, they did have to scale a couple of the routes down, and, you know, they couldn't do, like, the Safari Zone and some stuff, but uh, all in all, it was still amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, my number three is the time when Sonic the Hedgehog was announced in Super Smash Bros. Brawl. <laughs> um, and what I loved about this announcement was it just came out of nowhere. It was just a regular update on that Super Smash Bros. dojo they had back in the day uh, before they were, you know, when they were doing these brawl announcements. Um you know, they could have announced it at E3 or something, which would have made way more sense. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that was just an incredible moment. It came with this awesome trailer. And, you know, really the the amazing thing about it is, oh my God, Sonic the Hedgehog is coming to Super Smash Bros. This is the moment that everyone has been waiting for, you know, since 1991. It's just an incredible moment, an incredible announcement. And of course, Sonic fits in beautifully with the rest of the Nintendo cast there. So, um... You know, I think that day really stands as one of Nintendo's greatest moments. Um, so that's why it's my number three. Cullen, are you old enough to remember the old rumors from, like, I forget what magazine it was. But Melee? From Melee? When you shoot all the credits? Well, yeah. the rumor I had oh heard was if you beat uh, more than ten characters in Cruel Melee, you'll unlock Sonic. <laughs> 
So I spent like hours and hours and hours trying to do that. (laughs) Oh, that is rough. That's maybe it was twenty even twenty kills in cruel melee. I don't remember. It was something nasty. I because I remember that too, and I remember trying that. Um, I also remember. I I think shooting all the credits. The rumor was that Toad would be unlocked. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. and I also tried that for hours and hours and never could. I don't think anyone's ever shot all the guns. I don't know if it's even possible, you know. Yeah, I don't know. But, um, yeah. Oh, man. So so that was sort of the significance of that moment for me was was having dreamt of that and, and in a way believed mm-hmm. it and tried at it for so many years and then being disappointed. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a couple of years later, they turn around and Sonic really is in Smash. Yeah, yeah. right? amazing amazing and then of course you know six years from now that number three is getting replaced by the banjo kazooie trailer yes yes that's going to happen <laughs> fingers crossed. one day it will it'll be ukulele instead though hey, i'd be okay with that there are going to be thousands of years in the future <laughs> literally thousands thousands. And thousands and thousands of them and one of them one of them Will be the year that Banjo Kazooie is announced for Smash. <laughs> maybe, maybe thousands of years later in an alternate universe where more Nintendo bought Rare. Yeah, <sighs> but yeah, anyway. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> all right. Number two. Uh, my number two is the Twilight Princess unveiling at E three two thousand four. Oh yeah, um, that's a good one. If you weren't kind of into the Zelda series during its prime years, which I would say was the mid-90s, you probably don't remember the roller coaster ride that fans had experienced uh, as the 2000s kind of rolled around. Uh, Coming off of the sort of Ocarina of Time Majora's Mask High, uh, Wind Waker had that controversial and and divisive visual style that, you know, a lot of people like in hindsight, but at the time it was like not even close to universally well-received. I mean, it was a universally hated, loathed. I, I I wouldn't say universally hated, but very, very widely well, hated. Yeah. Um. And and so people were starting to get kind of restless about where the series was going to be going in the future. And so when Nintendo unveiled the Zelda game that would become Twilight Princess uh, in two thousand four, uh, the response was crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anything yeah. like it for any game ever. Mm-hmm. And you can watch the uh, E3, you know, reveal video of that and, you know, just see the crowd go, wow. I, I still get sort of a contact high from yeah. that when, you know, I, I, I see that video. It's just so exciting to be able to see, you know, this is what everyone dreams that Zelda would look like in 2005. And that's what it looked like. And it was amazing. Yeah, um, it, was, it was very appropriate for the time, too, because everyone was kind of in the, the midst of the Lord of the Rings craze. And so you saw you could oh, see yeah. a lot of, of influences from that in the, the new Zelda trailer, like mm-hmm. uh, the Fyrus boss that looked kind of like the Balrog, uh, the battles against goblin riders and, and stuff like that. And so, you know, for me, Twilight Princess represents Nintendo's best effort at kind of nailing the right direction for the time, mm-hmm. you know, given given the cultural influences kind of swirling around at the time. Uh, not just within gaming, of course, because right. I already gave an example of that with Metroid Prime, but outside of gaming as well. Yeah. So are you excited to see Link face off against the White Walkers in Zelda U? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll see about that. I'm, I'm more excited for the possibility of a female Link because, mm. you know, mm-hmm. Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, and let's be real, you know, female link is happening. If not with Zelda U, then with the one immediately after that. Yeah, no, it's 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 time. There's no excuse anymore. The world yeah. is ready for female protagonists well, to be equal to male protagonists. I wouldn't even say no excuse anymore. I just mean, you know, it's such a big discussion and Nintendo has already dropped such so many breadcrumbs yeah. that, you know, it's it's just it's it's yeah. happening. I'm there's no way it's not. But th- that's a tangent. Uh let's Ben, what's uh what's your number 2? Uh so this isn't any one particular moment. It's more like a collection of moments over the past uh, couple of decades. Well, a little less than that, I guess. Uh, basically, every awesome moment I've had playing Smash Bros. with my friends <laughs> and my older brothers. Mm-hmm. Just so mm-hmm. many great moments, you know, from the N64 one all the way up to Wii U. I, I, I've lost count of, you know, how many nights I've stayed up all night eating pizza and drinking pop and beating all my best friends and just so many Uh amazing moments so much so much trash talking (laughs) and you know it just it just keeps getting better like i i think i enjoy smash bros for wii u more than any of the previous entries so it's Uh it's like the gift that keeps on giving absolutely i can definitely second that one I'm at that terribly ripe old age where I wish I could play Smash Bros. more with my friends, but then I never spend time with my friends where I can play Smash Bros. Oh. So I love the new Smash Bros. as well, oh. and I do have lots of fond memories too, but it's mm-hmm. like, uh, I'm, I'm so old, it's so weird now playing a Smash Bros. game and knowing I'm not going to sink <laughs> hundreds of hours into the multiplayer. Um, well, can you get online and play with friends, you know, Yeah, remotely? I can, but but that... I mean, I, that would require yeah, that I not play single-player games Still. because anytime I'm home and it's not like... Six in the morning, my wife is playing Splatoon. So, but you know, adult problems. <laughs> All right. Well, my number two, Ben, you will feel for this one because it's actually the first step into Kanto in Pokemon Gold, oh, Silver, yeah? and Crystal, and I guess the remakes too. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, I love that inclusion of Kanto for all those same reasons, but I think that that first moment where, you know, your mind is really blown there when you just, you just cross a little tiny pond and all of a sudden, unbeknownst to you, well, first of all, this amazing epic music starts playing and it's just so uplifting and inspiring and adventurous. And then this (laughs) funny little chubby fisherman is just like, hey, you know what you just did? You've done something incredible. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it slaps you across the face. Like you didn't think anything happened. But then all of a sudden the music and, you know, he tells you, you know, just check your map, dude. Look at what an amazing world lies in front of you. And it, it comes at this great moment where you think that you've conquered everything there was in Johto. And then, uh, you know, you've you've got another incredible adventure ahead of you. And that just, that moment is just so special to me. So that is my number two. It's a beautiful number two. Yes. All right. On to the top choices, I guess, then. Yep. Let's do this. So... I was actually kind of conflicted about my number one because I had a great moment in mind, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. one that I actually really got to witness. It's just one I've kind of experienced in hindsight. Mm -hmm. So I kind of have two number ones, and I guess I'll give my my real, the one that I've seen, the one that I've experienced first, and then maybe after you guys are done, I'll give my other one. Okay. Uh, But my number one that I actually got to witness is the Wii unveiling at E3 2006. That was such a monumental moment for gaming, period, because no one, I mean, people had imagined motion gaming in the home, but no one ever, like, really understood what that would be like. No one really, we had never really seen what that could look like applied to games like Mario and Metroid and Zelda. And to see that kind of play out in real life and become a real thing, and and not just a real thing, but a thing that was going to come out in the next year or so, 
was just mind blowing. My imagination yeah. went totally went wild. I think everyone was really on board with the revolution, uh, unless they were the people with a stick up their butt and they didn't <laughs> like it. But but that was such a magical time for Nintendo and for gaming in, in general. Regardless of what you think of the Wii in hindsight, uh, there was so much hope mm-hmm. behind the Wii unveiling. Yeah, yeah, that's a great number one. I mean, and I think in hindsight, the Wii is still you know an incredible piece of hardware i think it's got some of the best games ever and i think i think people moved away from the Wii remote idea uh, a little too quickly i think mario galaxy's control scheme is you know perfect for a 3d yeah performer. it's got motion but um, the motion isn't too intrusive yeah you know yeah and metroid prime trilogy you know that, i mean that's just the perfect way to play a first person shooter but again a little bit of a tangent i think that's a great moment yeah certainly a revolutionary moment <laughs> all right Ben? So, mine aren't in uh, any particular order, so this is my number one, but it, it's not necessarily my favorite Nintendo moment, but it's... it's okay. I'm, che- I'm cheating again. It's a collection <laughs> of several moments. The ending of every single game in the Mother franchise. Oh, dude. I mean, all of them are wonderful. You know, you spend all mm-hmm. game, like, leveling up and, you know, getting buff and everything, and in each game, you can't win just by sheer force. There's always some sort of secret ending, and it's always uh, plot-relevant, and it always mm-hmm. tugs at your heartstrings yeah. and makes you think outside the box, and the, all three of them are just wonderful. Yeah. I I would say more, but I don't want to spoil them for anyone who hasn't played them, because I know these are incredible Someone in this podcast. incredible endings. <laughs> Alex. Sorry. <laughs> but but also, all the listeners, too. Um, uh, yeah, I don't want to spoil it, uh, but definitely go play Earthbound, go play Mother 3. And, and I feel like and, you know, each one is, is like more just impressive and breathtaking than like the yeah. previous one. Like, you know, you think, how do you top Earthbound? And then you get to the ending of Mother 3, uh, and you're like, oh, that's how. <laughs> well, that's how. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, great choice. Uh, those are amazing games and amazing. They're so beautifully written, and they tie the gameplay into the narrative so well, uh, especially in those final moments. So great choice again. Um, all right, well, my final, my number one then, Alex, um, I this is also something that I only experience in hindsight, um, but it's such an incredible moment, and just so, sort of like the Twilight Princess reveal, you know, I get kind of a contact high from it. Um, but I also experienced it in some ways in person uh, when I was younger. My number one choice is the introduction cinematic for Super Smash Bros. Melee. And I think specifically the first time that Nintendo ever unveiled it at E3, um, which was their way of announcing Smash Bros. Melee. I'm sure all of you have seen the opening cinematic for Melee. Um, you know, the Mario trophy is thrown up in the air and he comes to life. Um, you know, it's epic, it's dramatic, it's so cool. It's it's really exciting. But but the moment that really makes it incredible is that very first second when Link swings his sword down into the ground and it zooms up on him and it says, Super Smash Bros. Melee. And what made that so incredible at the time, especially at the E3 unveiling, is that nobody knew there was going to be another Smash Bros. game. And this is how they announced it. It looked like some crazy cool new Mario thing or some new Nintendo thing, but they go into this amazing trailer and it starts out with Mario. And then all of a sudden, when you're already so excited to see what's coming next, then you find out this isn't just happening for Mario. This is happening for every Nintendo franchise that you love. We get Link comes in, Donkey Kong busts his way through. We get Yoshi and Samus and Fox. And, you know, and they're they're adding all these amazing new characters, which obviously now we take them for granted. And, you know, nobody cares that they're in because obviously they'd be in. But like Bowser, Peach. 
Peach, Zelda, Sheik, these characters that everyone is so excited to play as. We get to see them in 3D on the GameCube, you know, at the time, super powerful. And that cinematic was just so brilliant as a way to tie all of Nintendo's universes together. And, you know, between that element of, of tying them together, of, of showing how powerful these franchises can be, and announcing a new Smash Bros. game, I mean, the crowd went absolutely nuts. And as exciting as it is to see that on the TV uh, when you're playing Melee, just seeing what an amazing reveal that is at E3 is just so powerful. I think the best moment that Nintendo's ever had. You zeroed in on a really important piece of that moment, I think, and that is that it wasn't a given that we'd get a new Smash Bros. game. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think a lot of people coming off the Wii era were pretty much every, not every franchise, but almost every franchise got some kind of nod during the Wii era. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, people forget that in the GameCube era and in particular the N64 era, which immediately preceded it, like there was no, there were no such thing as a given uh, for a franchise to appear on any console. Mm -hmm. Like you wouldn't necessarily, you didn't see a single Metroid game for that entire generation. Uh, and, and, And I think people feel that now with the Wii U generation as well, because we haven't had a Metroid game, for example. I mean, among so many others. Yeah. But like, it's hard to, to kind of put yourself back in the mindset of, we might not actually get another Smash Bros. game. Yeah. Which is sad because I feel like now we might not get another Smash Bros. game. I think we will. It makes too much money. Uh, it'll be a matter of time, but... It may, be, it may be another, you know, seven or eight years, but... Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and I mean, that, that moment is just so incredible. And, and yeah, that's, that's another good point there, Alex. Um, and I think another thing that makes it so... That, that makes it stand out so much is that it really can't be replicated. Like you said, I mean, maybe it's not a given that we'll get another Smash Bros. game, but even if we see a moment when they don't say, here's Smash Bros. and here's what it looks like, when we see, you know, a Mario trophy show up on screen, we know, oh, this is going to yeah. be Smash Bros. I yeah. wonder what everyone's going to look like. This was this amazing moment, you know, that the trophy, that was not a thing for Smash Bros. yet. And, you know, just, just the idea of seeing everyone you know, modeled like that and seeing everyone make their Smash Bros. debuts. Uh, so incredible. In a way, they were making their GameCube debuts, not even just the Smash well, Bros. Yeah, debut. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, they specifically said in that introduction, yeah, like, we didn't know what franchises to bring to the GameCube first. We were like, do we bring Mario? Do we bring Zelda? Do we bring Donkey Kong? Well, I think we found a good solution. Yeah. And then they showed that video, and it's like, you did! Good job! Yeah. <laughs> you were right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's funny because I think that in a way that that's the the best representation of Smash Bros is, you know, we we want to bring you all these franchises and this is the best Yo, way that totally. we know how. Totally. Um, yeah. And I it mean, almost makes you... me want a new Smash Bros right at the beginning of every console generation. Well, I mean, hey, if they do the championship edition for NX that we've, you know, maybe talked about, um could maybe happen if they like do that at launch it won't be as exciting because we will have already seen what smash bros 4 looks like but at sure, least but we'll have set, every franchise debuting yeah at least we'll have every single nintendo franchise debuting on nx at the same time yeah at least from a like a ip representation perspective yeah. yeah 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 speaking of ip representation so my sort of oh yeah, moment yeah. i didn't get to witness 
is the entire NES era. (laughs) Um, I mean, I was around for a lot of it, but I wasn't around when it kicked off. I wasn't around when all these new franchises were being born. Mm -hmm. Um, Because Nintendo was in super overdrive mode in terms of the number of franchises they were making. And a lot of them were using, like, innovative hardware, like the Zapper or the uh, Power Pad. Um, or like Rob, Rob, right? There's all kinds Rob of things, and a lot of these franchises are franchises that people don't know now. Like there's Wild Gunmen. Uh, mm-hmm. People know Duck Hunt, but a lot of people haven't really experienced Duck Hunt, right? Uh, but in addition right. I mean, to that, there's Mock Rider, there's Star Tropics, right. there's Mock Rider, uh, Star Hogan's Tropics. Alley, you know. Um, and they were taking all these risks in a time when no one was taking risks because mm-hmm. you know the market was in such bad shape. Yeah, yeah, dozens, yeah. dozens of new IP. Um, yeah, and. I think it's it's that sort of aggressive risk taking that made Nintendo Magic a thing that could even exist. Because mm. without you know the the creative spirit of that era, we wouldn't have gotten most of the franchises we now associate with Nintendo. The only ones that we would have gotten, well, I mean, aside from the whole argument that if we didn't have that era, we wouldn't have any Nintendo. <laughs> but the ones that didn't debut on the NES are what? Star Fox? Well, it's like Star Fox, Splatoon, uh, Pikmin. Eternal Darkness. <laughs> yeah, Animal Crossing, uh, Pikmin. Smash Bros. And and I'm struggling to think of any others that really left, like the Wii series, but that's even yeah. kind of a permutation of stuff from the NES era anyway. Right. Um, right. like it's, it's Yoshi's Island. I the guess. list of franchises that came out during the NES era and are still around today is longer than the list of Nintendo franchises that have come out since then. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's not, and are still around, of course. Yeah. You know, it was an era, it was an era too, where Nintendo, despite being very ruthless and business-like kind of in the background, uh, that's not what consumers saw. Consumers saw a bunch of people making games that they loved. Mm-hmm. And now while Nintendo still does make games, that a lot of people love, uh, there's there's often this sort of cold business-like wall between us and them. Like how the Dreamland stage exactly as it appeared on Nintendo 64 costs $3. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, <laughs> and, and not only that, but like the, the way that they make games and they don't... It's not always obvious that they're consulting the fans. You know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. But that whole era was just magic. And there's a reason why Nintendo Mania was a thing. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I hope they can recapture that with whatever they're doing with NX. Yeah. I think it sort of was reborn a little bit with the Wii. It was. Um, and not... I, and peop- I think a lot of people are coming around to appreciating that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Great way to end it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel like I had to bring that in even though I couldn't really speak moments. to... Uh, what my feelings were about it at the time. But. Right, right. But definitely a good, you know, a, a good thing to remember. Yeah. Even if you didn't actually experience it the first time. <laughs> good thing to look back on. One of the greatest gifts Nintendo has ever given us. Yes. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening. This is the end of Nintendo week for 2015. If you like this podcast, if you want to check out all the other awesome stuff we've done this year, and if you want to keep listening in the future, please subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And if you've been listening in 2015 and you haven't left us an iTunes review, please consider heading over to our iTunes page, you know, giving us some stars, leaving some feedback. Um, It really helps more people find our show. So if you've been loving Nintendo week this year and the holidays got you in a giving mood then that is an excellent way to help others find something that they hopefully love as well if you have feedback for nintendo week you can send it to colin at or you can find me on twitter at colin mcisaac 
And remember to send in questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys and we read them and talk about them here on the show, so that's a great way to get involved. Uh, we've gotten a couple of really good ones recently, so be sure to keep in sending your questions in and we should be able to have a really good episode full of listener questions we can really dig into soon. Uh, again, that's Colin at Gamnesia.com, C-O-L-I-N at G-A-M-N-E-S-I-A, and at Colin McIsaac, C-O-L-I-N-M-C-I-S-A-A-C. And Alex, they can find you on Twitter as well? Yes, I am at Legend of Lex. Yes. So remember, guys, we're off next week. We'll be back on January 6th, but you can find all your gaming news needs until then at Gamnesia.com. On our way out, please enjoy the Super Guitar Brothers' gorgeous rendition of Winter's White and Snowman, both from Earthbound. Thank you all so much for listening this year. You've really helped make our 2015 so, so special, and we hope that you guys are able to say the same of us. I can't think of any better way to close off the year that gave us perhaps one of the best new IPs in Nintendo history than to say, stay fresh. beautiful number two.